Hello, hello, hello. Here we are. In the studio space now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Glad Chad Podcast. As you can see, have a seat. seat. Kick up your feet a little bit. (laughs) I would, but I'm not wearing socks. Mom taught me that one. (laughs) Rudy, where the heck are we? Well, we are in my new apartment uh, with Ashley. So we just moved in together. Wait, they're cohabitating. No, No. we got married. Oh, shoot. That's right. What was your day? Uh, we got married on the 20th. So you've been married for about a week, a little over a week. Yep. And she hasn't kicked you out yet. Not yet. I'm I'm, I'm impressed, admittedly. <laughs> I, I, I know that there are people who are going to tell you that there's happy for you and everything. I just didn't know you were going to make it this far. So well done. I'm surprised. <laughs> Gee, <Someone's>... thanks, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool. So it's cool. I mean, your, your apartment looks nice. Uh, Thank you. We've been, we've been spending a lot of time uh, kind of figuring out the feng shui for the show but honestly this place just naturally baked in you have the fireplace here the bookshelf with all the good books right there yeah ashley and i did a culling the other day because i had a couple in here that uh, i guess they weren't really all that great and i didn't realize was there any von balthazar is that what i'm hearing (laughs) was it that father mc do you remember that some really do you remember that that uncle ted mccarrick book that you found the other day yeah (laughs) i can't even remember what it's called ebay no, that's great though, man. It's good. It's good to be. It's good to be in the space. Um, yeah. Is it feeling like home so far? I mean, ten it days. Is. In? Yeah, we we finally put everything away, mm-hmm. so everything's in its place, and uh, you know, it's starting to feel like kind of lived in. So that's good. Just for the record, I wasn't invited to the wedding, or I was invited, then I was disinvited, then I was invited again. But by then, I'd I'd had enough, and I was in Colorado. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one of like the craziest experiences. I mean, this whole thing has been crazy, right? Yeah. Because of coronavirus. Yeah. But uh, about two weeks ahead of time, so two weeks before the twentieth, we heard that uh, that it was going to be a possibility for us to have the wedding. Because up until that point, we didn't know that it was even going to be possible to get married. We right. thought we would have to push it farther and farther away. And so our one, our priest who was preparing us, he called us and he said, "Hey, good news! They're opening up the churches. Thank God. There's some, you know, there's some there's some things going on here, so you can you can actually start planning it." So two weeks, we got everything that we needed. We got the choir, we got the photographer, we got everything settled. So it was a lot. It was a really quick process. And, you know, you're only off by, what, like a week from your original date, if I remember correctly? Yeah. Yeah, you so... Now, the unfortunate thing is, because of the restrictions, thanks to the governor... Thank you, uh, thank you, We were only allowed to have a certain amount of people inside of the church. And we were thinking maybe if we got more people, we could do it in the tent, but it was going to be hot. Right. You know, that sort of thing, so... I think, look, I think that you lucked out, honestly, because... You you got married to to the one you love, and you did it for considerably cheaper and more beautiful than yeah. most weddings in there. Because you still got your you still got your high mask, you still got your scola. It was got all other kind of stuff, you know. It was it was everything I could have uh, uh, everything I could have hoped for because uh, a lot of our family and friends they're not really uh, they're not really religious. Ah, sure enough. And so for them to experience the mass in all of its glory, not just like some. Novus Ordo, like nice right, mass, right? Like, like the know, real, but like an actual full, Tridentine mass yeah. with a scola poly, polyphonic choir, and our choir master did like an incredible Jeez, I heard, job. Well, I heard a snippet from the wedding, and I'm I'm yeah. mad again because I feel like if I was there, I might have even had a chance to sing in it. But man, I'm so happy for you guys because yeah, one of the most obstinate people, you know, they were like, I cannot believe the choir, and they were ranting <laughs> and raving about it. So it was great. 
He was awesome. You'd have been like, yo, this happens every Sunday if you want to go on and get down. You said that. Uh Uh-huh. And she said, I'm still not going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, God takes takes some, we know this about like St. Augustine, I think is a perfect example. Like some people have to come kicking, dragging, and screaming. Yeah. But that's how it is. A lot of, it's a lot of leading with beauty first. And for me, music especially. Yeah. So that's crazy. I'm I'm proud of you guys. Your ring looks really nice. Thanks. Ashley Uh, made it. I I know that. Uh, That was from Ireland, right? Yeah, we went to Ireland and uh, she got to make it for me and I made her a band at this jewelry shop in Dublin. It was like the only redeeming thing about Dublin. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that far gone, huh? Yeah. Man, that's good. I'm proud of you. So so Thank you moved you. into here. Um, it's a cool space. I know that you've been, I know before you can't shop officially anymore without your sweetheart also telling you not to buy the things you bought before. <laughs> <laughs> but you were showing me, you were showing me before the show um, some kind of cool things that you'd picked up. From. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, I forgot we were going to do that. Yes. I have it's time up... to play glad chat show and tell. Yeah. This is the show and tell <laughs> section. Everybody welcome. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, thanks for tuning in. I have picked up some really nice, nice items. So, um, I really, really enjoy going online and finding church objects or just Catholic objects that have just been, you know, people don't care about them anymore. Right. They're, they're selling them. For whatever reason. So I like to go through and, and find things that, that Entire have history. Of altar rails. Yeah. You can find that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, if you have yeah. five grand, you could buy an altar mm-hmm. rail if you wanted. Um, but I picked up some really cool books. So the, the last two purchases that I had are, are books. And the first one that I got is... This is going to make a couple of you guys mad. I already know. Mad trads. All right. So some of you guys are going to dislike it or <laughs> maybe unsubscribe. But this is a Gradual Romanum. And it's a, it's a book that has all of the different feasts, but the music for the feast. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you could see it. I'll bring it closer. So it's just music, right? But what makes this one so interesting is that... It comes from a particular time in the church's history, this being 1982. Actually, this book was printed in 1924, but this has a very (laughs) peculiar history with 1982. And if you guys know what it is, type it in the comments. If you don't know what 1982 was... The year the world went to pot? It was the year that in Icon, the uh, SSPX ordinations happened. And this book happens to be signed by Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. So this is a very rare thing. Is it heresy or is it not? (laughs) (laughs) So like I said, some of you guys aren't fans of the SSPX or Archbishop Lefebvre. And some of you are, so. It's okay. It takes time. (laughs) It's um, so true. It comes with two little prayer cards. And this is actually from, uh, this is St. Pius X. This comes from Icon from the ordination of a priest there in 1982. And this one is St. Dimphna, but it's a really nice rendition of it. You know, it's Jen's patron saint. Yeah. yeah St. Dimphna is a patron saint of mel- mental illness amongst a lot of other things. Yeah, so yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's a good, a good saint. Very good saint. So that's the first one. The second one is... Oh, that's a tome. This one I didn't get on eBay. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little heavy. This is a 1885... Uh, Dewey Rames Haydock Commentary Bible. And if you could see it, it's got embossing on it. Mm-hmm. 
really gorgeous. It is awesome. it is fantastically made. It's in bad shape, so I'm gonna rebind this. How can something of such perfection be ever in bad shape? It's, yeah, I mean, look at this. It's <laughs> falling apart. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing about this is that there's a picture of the, the family that owned it. And I think this happens to be, uh, it must have been a family that came from the East Coast or rather like the, um, the United Kingdom or that area because this is printed specifically for that. And it has this really lovely portrait. So this is from 85? 1885. Yeah, right? yeah. It has a lovely portrait of... The Oops. Holy Father at the time. Yeah, <laughs> wardrobe function. The, the Holy Father at the time, Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Our boy, my boy. Who is, who is Jordan's patron saint. Pope Leo the Thirteenth was the first saint to ever appear and to bless moving pictures. Well, he's not a saint yet. Oh, gosh, that's right. You see what I mean? Like, <laughs> in a world of politics, can't I dream? Anyway. <laughs> Topical. I, you know, the page that fell out, I saw that I had a picture of the, of the Madonna and Child on. It did, um, yes. So it's got some really lovely yeah. uh, uh, plates. I think that's what they're called. Just look Plate at it. Plate engravings. Isn't that just fantastic? So really cool stuff. I know we're not supposed to envy other people's possessions, but if you do find that missing someday. <laughs> <laughs> they're quite common. And, uh, oh, I, this is this is ripped out, so I can All just right. show you. There we go. Look at that, His Holiness. This is a, uh, a dedication. And it says, presented to the... Prefixed to the original edition, to that loyal, religious, and enlightened body of men, Catholics of the United Kingdoms of England, Ireland, and Scotland, in admiration of the steady zeal with which they have kept the deposit of faith. Deposit of faith in uh, old English font. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's what I'm working on. And then later on, I think we'll uh, we'll do little little video updates to see... How the restoration's coming along, but I haven't started yet. That's right. So. You start tinkering on like restoring them instead of just having them, like yeah. preservation. Yeah. This is going to be our family Bible. That's so. <sighs> no envy. Thick no boy. Envy. Thick boy. Ashley boy. gets mad at me. She could throw it at me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's Proper our show until look at this. I mean, hey, look, it's hey, that's 1885. Pope Leo the 13th does. Don't waste it. I was going to say, Pope Leo XIII is the first pope to bless moving pictures. So there's actually a really, really cool, uh, very short video of him in the late 1800s. Old as old man he is, but he sits down and he has, you know, some of his entourage <laughs> around him. He looks so frail. At yeah, that. and he, he blesses the camera. And there's audio recording of him chanting the Ave Maria. And it's it's surreal, but it's fantastic because that's the history of the church yep. in a nutshell. I like, I think this is a perfect segue because... Even from that little salutation at the very beginning of that Bible, you know, presented to Catholics, loyal Catholics who have kept the deposit of faith. Uh, it's like the perfect kind of message for times under fire. Yeah. Which is perfect today mm. because uh, as, as the video shows, uh, we're kind of at war. There's no, there's no better way of saying it. Um, these past... It's easy to pretend like we're not. But... It's easy to pretend like we're not because you just... Because our, a lot of our leadership and... Plenty of lay people pretend that we're not. Um, but for those who don't know what's going on, so for the past, you know, the tail end of these protests and these riots that have been happening across America, and I've been watching this for a while. I remember early when they began, I said, it's not going to be my problem until they start touching churches. And I didn't realize I was, that was kind of a, prof not prophetic, but that was a thing that was actually going to happen in way sooner than I expected. 
What we've been seeing in the past two, three weeks is they've people have gone from erasing American history specifically, uh, no matter what side of the Civil War you were on, apparently, to church history directly. And so this includes in San Francisco, this includes in Los Angeles, this includes in all these other places, the toppling of... Even in Canada. Even, oh, Canada. Canada just had a case of uh, six saints were beheaded. Statues of the saints were beheaded, completely defaced. Here in Los Angeles, in downtown LA, across from Union Station, there's something called Father Sarah Park, named after Saint Junipero Serra, who is one of the most instrumental saints of California. He founded the mission systems. He was a Franciscan friar who was there to set up the mission systems after the Jesuits got kicked out of Mexico. Um, very, very holy man, very saintly man. Very good at the cultivation and preservation of the Native Americans who were living here in California. Mm-hmm. Like he, he brought them into the mission systems. He taught them both the faith and also just like the, the fruits of civilization, so to speak. So agriculture, cultivation, language, all that kind of stuff really holy man and like really protected them uh this is in the latter 1700s so it's all the more strange why all of a sudden for the sake of changing history right the demonic elements behind those forces here in california directly a man who's been so instrumental to the protection of natives is being defaced and not just defaced but on the site where they tore down the statue here in los angeles there was also pagan ritual performed on the base itself so that place is going to need to be probably uh, exercised again by the proper authorities if they ever decide to do something like that. (laughs) Which which unfortunately is a little suspect, unless you're in San Francisco, which is okay. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be the case that here we'll have uh, at least the top end of the leadership really doing anything. No, in fact, we've been told... I would be very surprised. It's very sad because, so again... This is happening here in, in California. This is happening all over the place. In St. Louis right now, which is named after St. Louis the Ninth, King of France, the only French monarch to ever be a saint. And his, his biography is incredible. This is a, a man who treated rich and poor in the light of Christ. Uh, his zeal for the faith is unmatched by any other king I've ever seen before. He went on, he went on a crusade. I think it was the Seventh Crusade. Um, he fought the Cathars. He, he made a bunch of, at his time in France, the Talmud had been translated and the Christian scholars were like, yep, there are all these extremely heinous errors about Christ inside the Talmud. So he he condemned, or his, his court nobles condemned that in the name mm-hmm. of his king. So just an exemplary man of the faith and both in his political life and his spiritual life. But apparently... Uh, he was a uh, king just for white people or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's that, well, you've seen that video, right? That that priest. Yeah. So you got a, a clergy with actual cojones. But there's a priest who's... So they have all this spray paint on St. Louis' statue. And it's him on a horse. It looks like Aragorn. It's wonderful. And this priest who is in his long cassock... I don't know. I can't remember the name of this priest or what order he belongs to. If he's diocesan or not. But my kind, our kind of priest, right? Yeah. Sitting there with his blowhorn... Do you want to know the history about St. Louis? Do you want to know the history about St. Louis IX, King Louis IX? His protesters are like, yes, no, maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, all over the place. Like, there's no, there's no other way of saying it. And so uh, the church is at war. Holy Mother Church is being attacked. It is being attacked by the culture. Uh, it is being attacked for the purpose of destroying the legacy of the saints and the legacy of Christ's church. We're seeing it not just in the defacing of statues, but we're seeing, we almost had an attack on a fraternity parish at St. Anne's. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, and why are people doing this? It's because apparently uh, 
the especially traditional church or the Catholic church has promoted for its 2000 year history, a, a history of barbarism to natives or to anyone non-white Republican, whatever they want to say, which is so demonstrably false is evident just anecdotally by the fact that Rudy and I are sitting in a room decrying this, you know, Hispanic, black. Catholic Church has been pretty good to both of us, yeah. if I do say so myself. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's a bad it's a bad straits, you know, all over the place. It's not it's not good. This is a uh, this is a trend that has continued since the French Revolution. You know, it never died. Yeah. In the French Revolution, they sought to to take everything of the past and make it bad, strip it away, change it, change its name, whatever. It's exactly the same thing that's happening now. They want to change St. Louis to Flavor Town. Is that really what they said? I'm pretty sure that I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Can I have some tobacco. I saw you had your pipe about <laughs> They want to change it to Flavor Town. They want to pull down Junipero Serra, one of the the, the, the most excellent saints mm-hmm. that brought Catholicism and Christianity to 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 natives. Yeah, here to the West. Improve yeah. their life. Uh, a man they they slander now as a, a slaver or an abusive i don't even know what they say they I don't know say what the, well yeah. if they're not besides the fact that he's spanish which is the first problem they they claim that he abused like that he was just he was a slaver that he abused native americans all that kind of stuff i mean that's just so ridiculous because junipero Serra, in order to take care of the the native people who he he had a, a deep admiration for deep he walked from california all the way to mexico city so that he could get the permission of the uh, of the monarch to 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 care take care and, and punish the people that well really the Spanish and soldiers then, who were doing the and the, he the filled the void again. The Jesuits had been kicked out of Mexico. The, this is this is one of the times that I say in history that the Jesuits have been wrongly suppressed every time. But whenever the next pope finally suppresses them, sorry <laughs> Jesuits, they're my favorite historical order. I love the Jesuits, but seriously, get your acts together. Because the Jesuits would do the same thing. They would interfere in in the political makings of the empires here in the New World in regards to native treatment. So you read about the heroisms of the Jesuits. You see it anecdotally in movies like The Mission. You read about the atrocities that occurred in in like a, a destruction of the Indies history by De Las Vacas, 200 years even before Gunipero Serra. So he's filling a void that God is calling him to do and that Hundreds of priests, a lot of the Jesuit missionaries, whether they're down in California, Mexico, or they're up in the Huron territories, North America proper and the Canada, um, it's just was the thing to do. But that's not good enough. So that's why we're erasing it all of a sudden. This is this is a really destructive time in history. Yeah, uh, I think I think this is going to go down in the history books for people in the future to see. And maybe they're not as stupid to fall into it again but i mean to destroy the past is one of the most absurd things that we're living through right now i don't understand i mean it has to be demonic yeah to destroy all of the culture all of the things that that brought us to where we are to be able to to sit on you know in a couch like this you know to live in america like mm-hmm. all of that history and it's being flushed down the toilet. Well, you, For what? you said it yourself. Since the French Revolution, there's been a trend of taking man and building up whatever we want to do in our own image and likeness. So take the idea of the saints themselves, right? The lives of men conform to Christ's will that now should be an inspiration for all of us. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what building up a stat, that's what having a devotion 
or naming a city or building a statue to a saint is about. Why are they exemplary men and women? Because they conform themselves to Christ's will. But supposing you strip Christ away from the culture, which is what the French Revolution did, then what are you left with? Well, you build icons to yourself, right? And your people and your heritage, but everything that's not pointing to Christ. And so it's very ironic that it's under the guise of, of egalitarianism in the worst way, just like the French Revolution, in the worst way possible. But the problem is like you look beyond the history just a little bit, and especially in regards to the faith, like it, it's the iconoclasms all over again, you know? They're smashing these images because they're graven images, not because they, they're being worshipped, but because they're representing a sort of history which doesn't gel with with that <laughs> that that secular, atheistic, materialistic worldview, which is that, you know, the, the scope of history is tragic. By that, I mean to say, at some point, your ancestors probably conquered and were conquered. So the Gauls in France today can't go to the Latins in Italy and get really mad because at one point they had Charlemagne just as the Latins had Caesar. How dare you have a statue up? That's what it is, honestly. And it's like... Of the guy who defeated our oh great, 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 great grandfather. And again, I'm a, I'm a historical... Like, when I say I'm a historical objectivist, I just mean to say, like, whatever the church's history is, I accept it. Like, if you're going to die for a tribe, because it's just a resurgence of tribalism, I'm going to go with the church's hill. hill. I Look, I didn't know anything about Junipero Serra before I came back to Los Angeles. Where I come from in Colorado... There aren't really any missions in Colorado, right? So there are other saints we have devotions to, but it's different here in California. And Catholicism is, is bled into the land in a really radically beautiful way. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you can go to San Luis Obispo, the fact that you can go to San Fernando, the fact that you can go to San Francisco, all these different mission systems are credited to him. So the ironic thing is that for people who are saying that it's colonialist to prop up a man who set up the mission system, I would say that why don't you stop living by the fruits of that colonialism, which includes cultivation, civilization, down to the Spanish language itself, apparently. Education. Education. All, every, everything that you value as a person. Everyone wants this. Everything that's valuable. Everybody wants this in the garden mentality, right? And, you know. I mean, you saw that in Chop, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, oh, do you want to? Want to rest great shot and Chop? <laughs> rest, rest in peace. Uh, chop, Chaz, chop, whatever. Chaz, whatever. Capitol yeah. Hill occupied zone to occupied protest. To... You know, you see it. You see it with that example that they try and make this. Uh, what's the word? Um, uh, utopianistic or, yeah. or you know, is that even a word? Well, uh, it's gonna be a word. Utopian is probably <laughs> utopian. Yeah. They're trying to make this utopian society, and, and what what do you get? I mean, just look at the news: people dying. <laughs> Like, total well, like, disorder. Well, again, I love how you really Depravity. did pinpoint it originally to the French Revolution. Because what is the idea of the French Revolution? Society and the law, as given throughout all of Christendom at that time, is as an objective nature because it's ordered from God. So you have a king, but your king has a responsibility to God, which means a king has responsibilities to people. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to talk about the nuances of that. But you know what you don't do? You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And one of the Americanisms that I've been shedding a lot this year is the concept of what revolution means against an ordered sort of government. It's different with divine right of kings because there's a responsibility as a Catholic monarch to your people. Mm-hmm. We've never had that as an American. We rebelled from an Anglican monarch, from a Protestant monarchy into a Protestant republic that's now reaching what I would say is the logical conclusion of Protestantism, which is if I'm going to follow any sort of head, why wouldn't I just follow my own head? Right. And so no wonder you have so many people. That's why I'm saying like it, it's it's godless. And what you see in the setup of Chaz Chop, what you see in the 
the resurgence of paganism. Again, it's not that a statue of Junipero Serra went down. It's that it went down and they performed a pagan ritual. That's something that I never would have expected. Right. And But we see that. We see the rise of paganism and Wiccanism. And we see the rise of desolation and, and depression and, and drug abuse. And, and people who are just so angry, who are, who are victims or wanting to blame the other. There's always another that we have to blame. And what's cool about church history is that it says these men and women that we venerate are from everywhere across the spectrum. Well, the church is Eurocentric. Look at how you draw Jesus. Okay, geniuses. Who is, if you were to ask what Virgin Mary of the Americas looks like, what icon would we go with? Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I guarantee you, she doesn't look very Eurocentric to me. No, she doesn't. You know. And that's an interesting thing. I, I, I want to kind of just rest there for a sec because that argument I've heard a lot recently. You know, oh, well, we need to, we need to have a Jesus that looks more... I don't know. Well, they're not saying they're not saying <laughs> more brown. Or something, well, they're not right? saying more Palestinian first century, right? Because we have Middle Eastern friends. We know what they look like. But here's the thing, though: uh, there there have been many notable apparitions, particularly the apparition to Sister Kowalska. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Divine Mercy. Yeah, and she's painting, or she's rather transcribing what Jesus looks like. Mm-hmm. And guess what, guys? He looks just like. <laughs> the standard image of Jesus. Yeah, you know, and here, I mean, we have we have I, an I icon, point to iconography, yeah, Byzantine icon of mm-hmm. Jesus, and yeah, he looks a little more. He looks uh, Slavic Greek Byzantine, though, a little but, bit more, you know, brown, I guess, but still, like, it's very close to yeah. to the normal image of Jesus that you see that people Look, have trouble with. Shroud of Turin. Shroud of, Shroud of Turin. It points to what Jesus looks like. Here's my problem, right? And I'll take this I'll, personally as a black man. <laughs> I'm just playing. As a black man? As a black man, this is how I feel. I feel so attacked. No, this is the problem. There's this revisionism I know very particularly in Afrocentric schools of thought. And essentially it says that everybody of any importance in the world was, sub, was sub-Saharan uh, African. So here's the problem with that. So I, and I know this because I'm 92% sub-Saharan African. I did my 23andMe. I don't have a drop of Northern in me, which surprised me a little bit. Because North Africa looks very different. Right, North Africa is considered to be lighter than Sub-Saharan Africa. The most of the Bible interacted with in regards to Sub-Saharan Africa was probably Ethiopia, because Ethiopia and Egypt had such a, it was a kingdom of Askum, which was a very powerful kingdom in its own right, by the way. So if anyone wants to talk about black revisionist history and Eurocentrism, no, Askum was pretty powerful and the world knew it. So Egypt, you get, it's brown, it gets the lighter skin. And then remember that this is post-Alexander the Great's conquest, which means that you have Hellenic influences in the Middle East. And guess what? We now know what the makeups of every culture in the Middle East looks like. It's not far-fetched to think that Jesus was lighter skin, not like Germanic, Gallic, white, but was <laughs> like, wasn't like dark brown like me with a pretty normal kind, with like straighter kind of facial features and everything. Shroud of Turin. All the way. Yeah. Maybe his nose was a little bit bigger. That's only because we have an Assyrian friend. So we have something for scale. <laughs> but no, it's, it's revisionist history. And it's one thing to see the church under attack. This has also been a really crazy time for the past two, three weeks. Because except for some very, very holy notable examples, this is the ladies' war. 
Apparently, apparently it's the lady's job. Hey guys, I just got a second job. <laughs> I didn't know. What is it, Rudy? Time. I didn't even know I applied for. Do you want to read? Do you want to read the tweets? Because <laughs> I I would never have done this if I didn't have to. But I, I really love how do. You have a picture of Cheems, the Cheems dog, <laughs> and like a I a have dog. I have a meme. Okay, so <laughs> let me tell you. So in the eighth century, Saint Boniface would have said. The church is like a great ship being pounded by the waves of life's different stresses. Our duty is not to abandon ship, but to keep her on her course. Boniface can do that as a bishop. Totally chat, right? Now, <laughs> as Catholics, we are natural monarchists. By that, I mean to say that Catholics don't, we don't like the, as laity, I should say, we don't like this idea of not having a leader and having to figure it out ourselves, quote unquote. Let me pause right there. If you're interested in monarchy, we just did an awesome episode with Charles Coulomb, who is one of the greatest uh, speakers on monarchy. Mm -hmm. That happens to be Catholic. Um, and we just did that two weeks ago. Yeah. Yes. So if you want to check that out, just go back into our, our YouTube page. and You, can you find literally it. can't miss really it. Really great episode. You can also, if you're interested in monarchy, because it's a good plug, there is a book that Charles Coulomb wrote called Star Spangled Crown, which is interesting. It's alternative history slash political theory on how a monarchy, a Catholic monarchy particularly, would work if it came to power in the Americas in a very conventional way. It's a brilliant read. I gave you a copy, right? Uh, no, not yet. Well, good. I got 10,000 copies, so I owe you a copy. Good, but, but seriously, as, as Catholics, one of, again, I call them the great Americanisms. Maybe we'll do an episode on them. Like, you like open your trench coat? Oh, uh -huh, like, hey, yeah, you, you want a star-spangled crown? Hey, <laughs> God save the queen. <laughs> but, you know, there are, there are just a couple of conceptions about government that as Americans and as Catholics, first and foremost, as sons and daughters of the church, we have to shed because we are a post-enlightenment, not completely influenced by the French Revolution, but a great amount of influence by the French Revolution sort of nation and, and Protestantism on top of it. So one of the things you have to shed, of course, is this understanding that, that men has to be governed. Not, not shed. You have to accept is that God gives legitimate authority. We know this from the New Testament. So it's not wrong at all to say that, to, to, to pray for the return of the king, genuinely. And the nature of republicanism, the nature of democracy, distorts the concept of government in a really, really strange way. And I think that's what we're seeing right now, is the death of the republic. Because the way that the republic works, like any kingdom works, is that there have to be uh, truths that we hold on to. But the problem is that there isn't. Truths come ultimately from God. Right. If you have a, a country, a peoples who is largely atheistic, who say that truths come from whatever my truth is, right? I speak my truth into existence, that, that whole sort of mumbo jumbo. Or I can write that these things are truths because they're on a piece of paper which doesn't have any divine authority, like the Constitution, Declaration, those sorts of things. At some point, it's going to fall into itself in the worst way possible. Yeah. And I, I think we're seeing that now. It's imploding. Yep. Not only that, we... I mean, I can speak from a personal perspective, but I, I think this is a universal ideal is that we we have a longing for for leadership from a father figure. Yeah. And particularly when we speak about the church, the church is led by by priests and mm -hmm. we call them father. And there's a reason why that is. It's because they they're they're meant to lead us. Yeah. And up until apparently this, the, you know, the Second Vatican Council. Oh, my um, gosh. That was their job. I, I'm remembering, yeah, okay, so let me just read the tweet. So, of course, pointing to leaders, there are a few examples that people across the spectrum point to when it comes to their leadership, right? As traditional Catholics, a lot of us really plug up uh, Bishop Cardinal or uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider 
and Cardinal Raymond Burke, right? Those are like mm-hmm. two, I would say, pretty high. Uh, Cardinal Sarah. Cardinal Sarah, Bishop Strickland, uh, now Corleone, Archbishop out of uh, out of San Francisco. Archbishop Sample out of, of Portland, Oregon is really great. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, even trads I know, right? I think that it's it's a whole different topic for another day, but there are certainly a lot of Catholics who, and I, I was certainly one of them, who really looked up to Bishop Barron, uh, Robert Barron, who's here in Los Angeles. He is the auxiliary bishop of Santa Barbara, uh, runs Word on Fire. Everyone should know that one by now. And so I've had the opportunity to ask him to question, be out of some of his seminars, to, to ask him questions, that sort of thing. And um, so this one kind of stung personally, but someone asked him online, hey, um, what is the clergy doing about this? Because we're all getting pummeled out here. And that's literally true. The context is they were asking, what, what, what are the, the clergy doing about, you know, all these people protesting, tearing down the statues, tearing away history? Mm-hmm. What, what's going on? You know, you guys have been kind of quiet about this whole thing all along. Yeah. And so this is the this is the direct quote. It is <laughs> that is the lady's job, exclamation point. You are meant to sanctify the public space. The bishops aren't police officers or politicians or community organizers. Vatican II taught that the secular arena belongs to the laity. Full stop. This is the <laughs> I read something on 1 Peter 5 today that uh, about this, and it said. In the United, as far as Unite the Clans are concerned, things got frazzled for a second over the, the Society of Pius X debacle. Um, and this has united all the <laughs> factions again. Um, so again, apparently, when it comes trouble in the secular arena, it's not, I know, and I know why he's, he cites Vatican II, it's not the clergy's job, it's the laity's job. I, I, I love... <laughs> I, I love this tweet that I came across in response to this. It was a really good tweet by this random mom. Mm. And this is like a trad mom goals. Uh, <laughs> and she said something like, uh, she said something like, the church is the bride, Bishop Barron. Are you saying that the bride has to defend the home? Ooh. And it's just so... Uh, I mean, she murdered him. She freaking clapped back. <laughs> so this is the thing. How do we say this very kindly? <laughs> um, I, there is, whenever I talk about something the Vatican II did positively, all I think is that it's nice to see in documents a universal call to holiness from the lady. What that doesn't do is that doesn't subdivide regimentedly mean that the clergy can just relax all of a sudden. And this is another example of this post-Vatican II way of thinking, that there are now these spaces in society where the church ought not tread. And if you're going to tread them, it's not the job of the clergy. No, no, it's a lady's job to do so. <laughs> so it's very funny to me that from the secular space, I'm supposed to give my money to Together in Mission every year. But I can't say it'd be really nice if the archbishop organized a rosary and exercised a place because we're fighting pagans in the streets right now. We, we keep being told to send our kids to Catholic school, keep being told to give to Catholic charities to support the bishops and all these kind of missions. But when we're asking for what I think is the most legitimate petition a son can ask of his dad. I mean, this is bare minimum. This is yeah. bare minimum. This is like literally your job description. I don't, I've never been that kind of guy who's like, I pay your salary, do your job. <laughs> but I'm just saying Look, like- man, I don't want to go there, but literally there aren't a lot of 
masses that are even taking place right now. So yeah, I can't imagine you're all that busy. I right can't now. imagine For that you're you all that busy. Come out of your, you know, uh, what's the room? The sacristy, not the mm -hmm. sacristy, the uh, and the sacristy. <laughs> I'm slipping out of the rectory. Oh, yeah. Come out of your rectory, mm -hmm. Bishop, and uh, lead a rosary or something. And go out there with the people who are risking their lives. That's exactly it. It's like, again, Catholics, we want leaders. That's all we want. We want leadership in our priests. We want leadership in our bishops. We want leadership in our, in our popes and in everybody. Because that's how literally we're told. We're told about the social kingship of Christ this entire our entire lives. We're told that our priests are our spiritual fathers. Right? This isn't just some like fluffy little metaphor, but this is literal authority that God has given them. So when I say it is like going to dad and dad going, oh, don't worry, just figure it's not my, it's not my problem. That's really what it feels like. And, you know, I've never really, I don't really talk about scandal kind of in like all the time because there's not a lot of things that I feel scandalized by, but it hurts. And so I, I said, okay, your, your excellency, I'll do something about it. So I organized a rosary. Total chat right here. <laughs> not, non, non nobis domini, non nobis. Uh, not to me, Lord, uh, but to you, the glory, honestly. But I said, okay, well, Catholics got to do something. And I'm mad about this and I got to do something. So we, I organized a rosary in Latin at the site where they tore the St. Junipero Serra statue down in downtown LA. And people came out. It was a good, good uh, conglomeration of people. And a lot more people. We have now have over 400 views on the live stream of the rosary on our Instagram page. And it very clearly demonstrates to me that, yeah, you know what? It sucks because I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to be the one in the front lines because it's not the lady's job to just charge over gung-ho and the bishop's only to ask for money in the background. Um, but yeah, fine. You want the lady to, to, to sanctify the secular area? I'll do it. But here's the caveat. Here's the trade-off, pure and simple. When I see conversations, and from Bishop Barron, it heard a lot, but I see this from other bishops too, talking about engaging the culture and the new evangelization and how we're reclaiming things and how from Catholic schools, from Catholic education, from Catholic faith is going to be a wellspring that flows over the entire culture. I know it's lying because before the Second Vatican Council, there was this concept that the church sets the culture. The church binds and looses what's allowable in that kind of culture. And even when the church does, isn't listened to, like in the time of the French Revolution, the church still has that voice, which is why Pius X can do something like, like uh, the oath against modernism, mm -hmm. which is why he can decry modernism, you know, which is why the First Vatican Council can deny it, which is why we can talk about the syllabus of errors. There would be no such thing as a syllabus of errors post-Vatican II, because the only sin that you can commit is believing that people can commit sins. <laughs> Honestly, or apparently that it's the clergy's job to to man up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're at war. And yet again, just like with coronavirus, you can tell our frustration. What's our clergy doing? Nothing. Mostly nothing. Mostly nothing. With yeah. some extremely good examples from our priests and from there are bishops, obviously. Archbishop Corleone led in a rosary and an exorcism oh, at the, the site. Sites, yeah. 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 You know, why can't we do God that? God bless him. <laughs> like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> hey, Archbishop Cordelione, if you're watching, can you come down to LA? We'd love to have you on the podcast, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's it's hard it's hard to live through that sort of thing, you know, when you, uh, I mean, to, not to, to beat a dead horse, you know, with the father example, but it's like coming home and seeing your father just like passed out drunk again on the couch. Yeah, it's know? Noah. And, uh, and the bills haven't gotten paid. And guess what? You're the one who's going to have to write the check and deliver it and put in the mail, mm -hmm. you know? 
And, and so that's what we're seeing now where we have to pick up where they have left it off and we have to pick up the, the, the weapons and, and, and do our, our part yeah. because you know, it's, it's falling onto our hands. You, did you ever see silence? I did. I did see that. It was a good film up until the last 20 minutes. That's my review of silence. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say that something that's really nice about silence is that those peasants, the laity held onto the faith, which it's not to say that as laity, we don't have a duty for the preservation of the faith in the secular arena. Of course we do. I'm just saying that it's a both and scenario, not an either or. Right. Like I would never say, well, father, it's really your job to keep up the sacristy. It's like, you know, we see how great the church ladies do with like the flowers on the altar and stuff. Like that's, that's our faith. My point being is that in silence, these, these, you mean like altar decorations, altar decorations. Okay. Yeah. That's what the I mean. sacristy is his. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Father can keep up the sacristy all he wants. Right? Yeah, yeah. I just mean to say that, that obviously as, as lady, we have an obligation of course to, to purify, sanctify and glorify Holy Mother Church in all regards. Yeah. Even at the, at the end of the mass, you're, you're being yeah. sent out to do that. Right? That's exactly right. But you and I can't go out there and do an exorcism. No. You and I can't go out there. And and even though we have a podcast, we don't have the same reach that a bishop does. Look at Bishop Barron. He's got one of the greatest Catholic platforms. Yeah. And I, I mean greatest in the amount of like how much reach, reach. he has. Because I'm not really a big fan. But he has massive reach. And, and it's just so weak sauce, the kind of response that we get out of a bishop like that. Well, it's very funny to me that, that you know, I think I... Very sorry. Oh, ooh, we are being buzzed. There's an intermission. Who's pa- who forgot to turn off their phone? I'm sorry. Ah, uh, it's okay. <laughs> what I was going to say is that, you know, I think back to Fulton J. Sheen all the time because what a perfect example of, at the time especially, and even now, but Fulton J. Sheen really had... The audience, a religious clergyman, a bishop no less, having the reach in the secular space. They did. A, a syndicated show that reached millions of people, obviously on religion, obviously on the Catholic faith, in the secular space. He, Which, was, he was competing with, with some of the greatest entertainers, entertainers at the time. Yeah. Would we say that it was improper for he, a bishop, to attempt to sanctify a secular space? Should there not have been a lay person <laughs> on life is worth living? What a coincidence, Jordan, that most of that happened before Vatican II. Surprise, oh. This is my surprise Pikachu face. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. I mean, he continued to have the show after, but, mm-hmm. you know. But look what's happened to, but the, I think this is the thing. Like, we, when we consider, here's a perfect example. Cardinal Richelieu is not really one of my favorite cardinals of all times. He's a really brilliant statesman, but brilliant and like that. You like it's pretty cool stuff you're doing. I'm not familiar with that. Cardinal Richelieu is like you ever read Three Musketeers? No. Is that Car- oh, okay. Well, Cardinal Richelieu is back in the days. If this is in the uh, for being an amateur historian, correct me if I'm wrong. I terribly apologize. <laughs> this is in the uh, the 17th century. On chat here. Yeah, I know, right? 17th century. But Cardinal Richelieu was one of the statesmen for uh, for uh, the Sun King, right? Louis the Louis the 14th. No, earlier than that. I'm terribly sorry that I'm forgetting this. My point being is that there's a very famous picture of him during, I think, the Siege of Toulouse. And he's wearing his cardinal garb, but also this armor. <laughs> it's like it's like Pope... It's like Pope... Here's a better example. I should use this. It's like Pope Julius II, the warrior, or Alexander VI, the warrior pope, right? Like, there were popes in history who went to war. And these weren't good justified wars. I'm completely admitting that. But my point being is that there have been times when... 
the Christera Wars are even the best example of a, of a good war for lay, for clergy to have to kind of step in flock, right? There are plenty of priests who took up arms against an atheistic government who was seeking to suppress and destroy the, uh, the entirety of Christendom, the entirety of the Catholic faith. And so what we see in the history of the Catholic Church is even though clergy are not the ones who usually take up arms and be in the front lines, and I think that's a completely fine thing, the support that they have for laity doing so has been admirable. You never felt like they were off in their ivory towers doing stuff. And if they were, everyone knew that that was a bad abuse of that bishop's power. But apparently in post-Vatican II time, it's a perfectly acceptable thing for the clergy to not say anything when Pachamamas are worshipped in St. Peter's Basilica. Hell, they'll even carry it in. They'll even carry it in. <laughs> they'll, carry the, they'll carry the idol for, for all the other people. Don't think I forgot. I never forget, right? And it's perfectly acceptable for pagan rituals to take place at sites that are, that are, I would say, obviously our church history, ergo the church's business, but apparently no, it's a secular space. And the reason I'm, I'm harping on this is because for weeks we've been watching these constant attacks. I'm, I'm a part of, of an Instagram uh, organization now that's just called the Catholic Defense League with a chapter in Los Angeles. It's newly formed, it's like a posse. And what's cool about it is all we're going to do is we're going to use the greatest weapons God has ever given us, which is the rosary. It's the only weapon we should be using at this time. And if a site needs to be defended, by that we mean to say like not, but really prayed at and made sure people don't destroy the history of the church, I am prepared to drop what I'm doing and go there. And I encourage, especially if you're a young man who's really getting fed up with this kind of thing, to start doing that kind of thing. Because you're not going to get that sort of leadership from the clergy. And, you know, I want to be glad about it. And the only glad thing I can think about is that these evils are happening because the devil is howling. That there are so many graces that are being poured forward with the resurgence of tradition and orthodoxy that the devil is doing the real physical bits. That's why it's demonic, doing the real physical stuff to really shake us off our faith. But it's also exposing the wolves in sheep clothing. It's exposing which Catholics talk, which Catholics walk. Right. And I'm not going to be a Catholic that talks. I'm, I'm that walks. Well, and Catholic talks. That, oh. oh, right, right, right. Talks, Catholic walks, right. right. Uh, uh, the talks, money, walks, right. Whatever. I'm not going to be that Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for all we know, it could be even a, a moment for us to uh, to start hitting the gym again. You know, that's to say, spiritually. Yeah. You know, take up take up the spiritual arms. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I just started going to the gym again. That, that was pretty cool. Joe, bro, how chad was that, though? <laughs> Yo, guys, welcome to the Black Trad Podcast. <laughs> but this could be a serious time where God is asking you to, to get serious about... Is that a sign? That really is. <laughs> it got brighter, a little thing just fell off the light. But it could be a time for you to really sit down and look at what's going on outside of your house. And say, wow, okay, well, I really need to pick up that rosary. Or I need to pick up fasting. I need to pick up uh, all kinds of other spiritual weapons in order to combat this. Because we're not at that point where we have to go out and defend, you know, monuments or anything with our, our lives or with weapons no. or anything like that. But we may be, be we may be called to a more spiritual solution at this time. And you might grow a little bit out of it. But, you know, it's also a reminder of, of Memento Mori, which has been, coincidentally, the entire theme for the past opening part of the year. We are called to defend Holy Mother Church. And the history of the church does demonstrate that sometimes that does mean physically. 
we all pray if we're gonna have martyrdom at least it's a white martyrdom you know if we're ever gonna get you know um uh, oppressed then and suppressed that really it's only by job and not by our lives but a time is coming where that just is going to be a possibility you know i mean the fact of the matter is they're tearing down statues we have the new supreme court ruling on transgender treatment in the workplace but i mean to say that it's now a civil right which means you can be fired if uh Adam comes in as Eve one day and you still want to call him Adam or treat him like an Adam. Well, that's the other thing too, right? I mean, the bishops are telling us, look, this is your arena. But look, Bishop, I could say, I could say, for example, with, with a company, hey man, I really don't agree with what you guys are doing going along with, with the mob. Yeah. And guess what happens? I could lose my job. I, I, I can't do that. I can't. I mean, I just got married. So, you know, I, <laughs> got new obligations. You know yeah. what I mean? I can't I can't go out and be effective in in the culture because mm-hmm. there's all kinds of other things that that I need to take care of first. And as a bishop, you don't really have that same responsibility that I do. Yeah. You can go out into the world and and say certain things that I cannot. The consequences are considerably lessened. Or that I can, but right, there's but a considerable risk. You'll still be a bishop that. at the end of the day if you go in and say uh, hey, we're going to do a rosary in front of the statue. Right. Can you imagine if, you Arch- if Archbishop Gomez changed himself to like the Junipero Serra statue in San Fernando? Honestly, I'm I'm really surprised. I, I mean, look, I don't want to say anything that's too harsh, but the Archbishop wrote a book about the the people who came to the Americas to evangelize. Mm-hmm. And this is a book, I mentioned this already, but this is a book that's given to people who are discerning priesthood which i was a long time ago they gave me this book and i read through it and i read about junipero serra and how dear he is to the archbishop yeah where has the archbishop been it's almost like he said nothing this statue of junipero serra was taken down like blocks away from where his rector is yeah in fact you can see you can see the cathedral of the angels from uh from the park yeah it's right there. Yeah. It's like, this is his jurisdiction and I'm, I'm very disappointed. This is how I feel. I mean, now you know how I feel with, with, with Bishop Barron. Um, because again, part of my great admiration uh, for his starting points in particular is that there was not a bishop at the time who was really engaging the YouTube heresies as they called them. Like in the comment sections, doing the cool, like I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And for me, who'd been so into apologetics and wanted to really understand that sort of thing. I mean, I couldn't believe my my eyes because I'm so used to having lay people as my apologists. And so someone who was, who was going to engage the culture that way, I, was, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And here's an example where I, I can't even describe it. They're treating these statues like they're just statues. That's what my biggest thing is, is that, and this is why we talk about it in a very post-Vatican II way, because they no longer carry great existential and theological meaning behind them. It's just a statue. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's just a statue in the secular space. It's your job to do it. And if not, it's no skin off the church's nose, apparently. And where does it begin? Well, soon it becomes, it's not a church. It's not a house of God. It's literally a, a, a sanctuary space. Yeah. Right? It's a house for the Eucharist. Well, maybe unless we move it into a side chapel or something. Come. 
Gather. Gather. Right? It's a gathering space. Worship space. That's what they call it, right? Come to the feast of heaven and earth. Come to the table of plenty. By the way, there will be a second collection for Together in Mission. <laughs> Where, look, I know that it sounds harsh, but genuinely, I'm beginning to really see the strains of what bad philosophy brings. And, you know, this was something that I didn't think we'd ever really hit but this year we're seeing it more and more just the bad fruits that have happened for the past 50 60 years and it starts with this genuine idea that the priest is no like if as christ is priest prophet and king a priest in persona christe represents christ in these sorts of ways and it doesn't mean again it's okay that our priests aren't just out there every day when we have the opportunity as lady to have a different sort of schedule but i want some leadership i need some leadership father it's again, it's it's dad's letting the team down. And so I'm seeing more and more that the priest has been relegated to a community leader, not even actually, because he says very explicitly that priests actually aren't community leaders. Uh, <laughs> but that's what they do, right? We look at how the priest is treated in the Novus Ordo, and the priest is just a community organizer. He organizes what sacristans and what lectors and what Eucharistic ministers are going to do his thing, and then he can sit back and not do anything. Right. And when it comes to prayers, he delegates prayers to the the old ladies of the, the old Spanish ladies of the parish, right? It's so shameful now that the Holy Father could call a rosary and you tune in and it's not even the Holy Father leading the rosary. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember we had we had it. Well, well remember, now. we had an interfaith prayer last month. Oh. Uh, but when Holy Mother Church is being attacked like this. There's no suddenly. Oh no! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, you must apologize. I apologize, Your Excellencies. Uh, the USCCB <laughs> did write a, a strongly worded letter, so there is that. <laughs> so thank you. That'll that'll change everything around. Arwen Arwen says, "Do we get paid?" That's a good question. Oh my! Take it up with HR <laughs> uh, at the archdiocese. There was that desire that would, there was that GoFundMe to to continue to keep the employment of Dawson workers. It's only fair that we're considered now. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, so this is this is a somber episode, but I think that there is there is a note of hope, and I saw this when when the rosary was done, um, and that's it. There are a lot of Catholics who are spoiling for a proper fight. And by that, I mean to say, yeah, you. <laughs> and it's not just us being young men, Jim, meaning that, Jim look, I'm not saying that we're not going to pretend also that it'd be so like, I know, look, I know us both. You're married now, so you can't have these dreams anymore. But it's nice if St. Anne's was just protested a little bit and we all just went down there and someone tried to touch it. And then, we, yeah, you know exactly what kind of, <laughs> and then we were just like, nope, we have a whole defense league. Yeah. <laughs> but genuinely speaking, Christ, the most powerful weapon that Our Lady's given us, has shown us, right, that Christ shares most, is the rosary. This is how we're going to be back this modern scourge of paganism and apostasy and atheism. Oh, I knew it. In the secret... Oh, There's a uh, secret... Wait, is that a, is that a white Our Lady? Oh, no, it's just a regular Our Lady Guadalupe. Oh, phew, <laughs> for a second there, Senor, I was about to cry. Oh, whoops, I'm opening it wrong. Wow, how this many is, times you used it? This is where I keep my weapon. That's a good battle rosary. Here's some a ASMR. That's a good battle rosary, dude. <laughs> That's actually really tight. Yep. Oh, man. What is this right here? Oh, oh it's Fulton J. Sheen. It's Venerable Fulton Sheen. That's wonderful. And uh, and here for the centerpiece is uh, St. John Bosco. Nice. <laughs> good. So this is, uh, yeah, the rosary mm -hmm. is really important, people. Yeah. Uh, Ashley and I, now that we're settled in, we're, we're getting into the groove of the... Uh, 
the the daily rosary mm. so it's very powerful stuff yeah i need to pick up the slack on the team so you know you hear taylor marshall say it all the time you know if you're if you're not praying your daily rosary you're letting the army down and i think that this is a perfect example of our of our call to holiness again this is it is the lady's job to an extent to really have a preservation of the faith in the arenas that we do govern um we'd like some leadership on it but my point being is that that means that it's all the more time to, to cherish what holy mother church really holds and also just on a pragmatic scale if your priest is doing something good about this if archbishop cordleone is doing something really good about this you gotta let your your clergyman know you gotta let them know that there's an incentive of backing them up if they get thrown in prison we're all going in with them that's what i've always thought if, if dad gets thrown into prison all because all the coolest people are in prison then i'm gonna i'm going i'll be like we're all gonna be right beside him gang 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 gang. <laughs> join that gang catholic gang <laughs> oh shoot anthony if you're watching anthony you're watching we got you gang gang now do you i mean i think the whole episode's been pretty without needed for a mad trad section but are you mad about anything in particular that you haven't shared with the class already <laughs> Am I, am I mad about something? I'm um, always mad about something. <laughs> but uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's it's, uh, it's just one of those things. Yeah. I hope that they don't rename St. Louis to Flavortown. That would be asinine. Although that would be kind of cool in a movie or something. Welcome to Flavortown. Flavor, Flavor, Flavor. Not that one. You know why they're calling it Flavortown? Wait, why are they calling it Flavortown? For Guy Fieri. Oh. You know Guy Fieri, right? Yeah, I know Guy Fieri. Yeah, yeah. They want to build a monument to Guy Fieri because he's from St. Louis. I, I think you mean Flavortown. Flavor, yeah, he's from Flavortown. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. How about uh, Gladtradville? You know what? Honestly, that's probably going to have to be the name of the compound. I just went on a little... A... <laughs> that should be my Wi-Fi uh, network. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the young adult group that we're a part of, uh, Rudy didn't come because he was all married and cool. Um, but we went to Kernville, which is Northern California, two hours out of Los Angeles. It's essentially a place. It's Elizabeth, Colorado. That's a little bit more dry and a little bit more Western, like, you know, like touristy Western, really Rootin beautiful place. Ruin, tootin' and shootin'. It really felt like being back home. I've decided that's where we have to build the compound when, <laughs> <laughs> when the remnant has to really like show itself. Into the mountain? Mm-hmm. Just like, like, they have abandoned coal mines and stuff up there. Oh yeah. You know I love I that mean? area. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So, if I could, I would live there. All right. Well, hey, yeah. you can. I mean, you're going to get kicked out of here anyway, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, if you haven't already, we talked about the episode we did prior with Charles Colomb on Catholic monarchy. That is one of our finest, finest dishes we've done. He's also the first guest that we've we've had on the show. Mm -hmm. And he's an incredible guy. Spent a lot of time with us. Thank yeah. you, Charles, if you're watching. That's right. Uh, you can check that out if you go into our YouTube page. We also have a new Instagram page. It's popping too. It's popping. We have a little bit more of a daily content if mm -hmm. you're looking for that. And uh, what else do we got going on? You can still find us, as you know, on here on YouTube. Just click the thing right down there. But you really can find us literally everywhere podcast is. In fact, now I'm so happy. If you just type in Glad Trad Podcast on Google, we're like the first results and we start scrolling. We have a Twitter as well, of course. You can find us on Buzzsprout, which is our main website host for our podcasts. All that kind of good jazz. Uh, anything fun from chat to say? Chat, do you want to say hello? I see that there's some friends. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, friends. Hello, hello everybody. Friends. Uh, let's see here from Beth. I saw on the St. Vitus site that the toppled statue from Sarah Park is safe. It's being repaired and it will be placed back in the park when racial tensions end. 
It's probably never. Never. <laughs> Not here in America. <laughs> yes, Beth, that's absolutely right. And I forgot to mention, this is actual news that came out last week. Uh, one of the preservation societies has confirmed that don't worry, the statue will be repaired and restored at a time that is deemed fit. Whenever that is, we're going to pray to God that that's very soon. Uh, I think we just put it up and have a good old brawl. I think we just settle this crusade once and for all. But that's just me. Bring the pitchfork. Bring the pitchfork, the, the torches, the the, the 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 found footage camera, all that kind of stuff. We'll bring that couple from wherever they were that had the people break into their house. Oh, gosh. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They they'll, need, they'll be there, but not them. They because need so they're, much fire. Apparently, they're, they're Democrats. So yeah. We'll have somebody similar to that. <laughs> Just a little Trumpian dude. More Catholic. There'll be way more guns. There'll be way more gun uh, gun knowledgeable, too, because that was just a train wreck. Um, yeah, very bad trigger, trigger discipline. Was yeah. Horrible. Horrible. There's also, you know, so real quick, in San Fernando, there's a Junipero Serra statue that was... It was going to be vandalized. I think they got paint on it, but a lot of prayer warriors came and actually held off the people, and, and it was it was it dispersed really really well. In Ventura too. Yeah. And, oh, I'll try in Ventura too. Yeah. Ventura they, is pretty based. Yeah. By the way, if you're in Ventura, because I think some of the places are going to close down again. Thank you. Again. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually, fun story. Before I tell you that, now I'll tell you about Ventura first. Ventura, if you're out there, there's a great Irish restaurant called Dargan's. Go there. It is incredible, delicious, so good. Now, the other story is that before we started filming, Jordan and I went on an adventure, a side quest, if you will, to uh, go pick up a tripod that I forgot in my old apartment. And on our way back, I said, Jordan, you know, I love a tasty beverage right now. I want a Red Bull, Jordan. That's all I want. I love a Red Bull. So I said, if you turn here, I'm pretty sure there's a 7-Eleven. I'm I'm 90% sure. So <laughs> he makes the turn. There it is. 7-Eleven. Walk in. And I'm like, oh, snap. I forgot my mask. So what This has you... happened to you guys. You go, <laughs> you get out of your car. You go up to the store. And then you realize, oh, oh I no, don't have the mask. mask. So then you go back to the car. Mm-hmm. And guess what? There's no mask there. So what we did was we did this. <laughs> so we look like idiots coming into <laughs> the store like this, right? And I'm in the back already at this point. I'm like grabbing the Red Bull. I pick up some goldfish. Yeah, you got farther than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I walked in. Jordan walks in. The lady's like, sorry, so you have to wear a mask. And it's like, dude, I'm literally covering my face. Like, what do you want from me, right? Mm-hmm. And I go up to the register. Oh I have my, my Red Bull and my snacky. And uh-huh. I put it down. And she's like, you have to have a mask. And I'm like, I'm literally doing this. You're really not going to ring me up. And she said, no. So I look like a total idiot and I left it there. <laughs> more so than usual, that is. Just yeah, more so. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jordan. Oh, I love you, buddy. Thanks. You know that. <laughs> so what, you know what's funny is I want to make you jealous. In Colorado, shout out to my favorite place in the world until our governor, who's not very good, decides to shut us up again. Pretty much masks don't exist anymore, at least in the countryside where I'm from. And in Kernville, <laughs> fun fact, like my fairness. boy, it doesn't exist in Kernville too. Oh. All the more reason to build the St. Vitus. The St. Vitus Brigade will move out there when they try to burn San Fernando. St. Vitus Boys 13. St. Vitus Boys 13. Shout out to the boys. <laughs> all right, guys. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. You know where all of our rest of our content is. We appreciate it. If you were to like, subscribe, and to share this video far and wide with anybody, any Catholic who really needs to hear it. And we will see you on the next one really, really soon. God bless you and Mary keep you. Adios. Yeah.